So where have you two been? What's that flag? Bolivia. Bolivia, lovely. And uh, would you like to tell the lovely boys and girls <laughs> what you got up to? Yes, we have some completely non-contrived questions to explain what we did. But as many of you know, we, we spent, uh, well, just over two weeks actually in August in Bolivia visiting churches there. And it's felt like another week traveling there and back. So first question is, what did you do pretty clean joy or find encouraging? Just the uh, enthusiastic worship. We may not have spoken to Roman governors or anybody else about it, but we did enjoy the singing of the music group and the congregation, the passion that they showed, and I also loved the way the words sounded in Spanish when they said, Santo, 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 yo quiero verte. Holy, 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 I want to see you. So I'm really hoping that Sarah might be persuaded to introduce something into our service at some point. Yes, and I just say I completely agree with all Anson's questions. Then in addition to that, <laughs> something, something completely different. I think just being in another country, being in another, on another continent, and experiencing another culture, of course, is, is always a wonderful thing to do. But even more so when you're with other Christians, uh, who you know are your, your brothers and sisters, that even though you're in another country, speak a different language, that it's the same gospel, we have that, that fundamental unity. To be able to stay in people's houses and enjoy their hospitality, to share in their worship, to see something of their lives, I think was a, was a real privilege. Especially for us, we spent over a week in the city of Tarija. Many of you will know that John and Elsie have been there for a couple of months. They've just finished their time there. But it gave us an opportunity, I think, to get to know people a bit better and really understand a bit more about the culture and feel sort of part of the city. And I think that that is a wonderful experience, really. Okay, so Alison, can you tell us about something that was challenging? This is something that was challenging for the country rather than just the church, and that is the climate. When we were there, it was winter, but it was between 28 and 36 degrees during the day. I'm so glad we didn't go in summer. It was also extremely dry, and the rivers had virtually dried up in so many places. And the people there say it's getting hotter during the day, but it goes down to minus one overnight, so the huge variation in temperature during the day is causing some health problems to people. And also, we went to three cities and there were field and forest fires in each of the cities when we were there, including one that we could see from the aeroplane before we landed and it prevented us from leaving the airport for two or three hours, depending if you were in a private car or in a taxi. There's also a lot of dust pollution the cities are surrounded by mountains and the dust is so great that you can hardly see those mountains at various times during the day. Okay, I think from my perspective, thinking about the, the situation in the churches, I think something that concerned us a bit was perhaps a situation that happens in many British churches as well and probably around, around the world, a sort of excessive reliance on a few people to do a lot of jobs. We, I think, are probably unusual in many ways in that we, we do have a lot of people involved. You only have to look on church suite to see how many people uh, take part in our activities here. But I think the culture there is very much less of that, that sort of every mem member ministry, much more reliance on pastors to take responsibility and perhaps the congregation perhaps less willing or perhaps less, have had less encouragement maybe to actually take, play a full part in, in the church and also to contribute to, to the finances. And the church as a whole, I think, is also reliant on external funding. It is quite small and feels quite fragile. What about something to encourage us? their prayerfulness and their belief in the effectiveness of prayer. One example, we had ordered a bus 
the bus didn't come. So Bishop Walter prayed and then, rather than phone a friend, ring the company, ring another company, no, he went out onto the street, walked two blocks and a bus appeared. And the bus was able to take us to where we wanted to go as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, the story yeah. does, there's more to the story than that. Yeah. And I think, again, following on from what I was saying about the fact that maybe the pastors have a lot of responsibility, the fact they do have such also such dedication and strong commitments despite some many difficult situations. They're far from rich, very poorly paid, but yet they are so determined and constantly looking outwards as well about ways to grow. In Cochabamba, for instance, we were taken around several places. We didn't actually see any happening at the time. Unfortunately, that wasn't possible, but several places where they're running Bible studies in some outlying areas to draw more people in. They're always looking to grow despite the fact that they are so stretched. And something to pray for. As Phil mentioned, the every member ministry, which does seem to be lacking. A couple of examples. They were great at providing food, but Bishop Walter was the one who put out the chairs for the service. And the cleaning the toilets is only done by the deacons. Nobody else is on the rotor. So people just don't do jobs. So to pray for people to participate in the general jobs of the church but also money there were some people who lived in very very poor accommodation but some had rather luxurious houses and yet just put coppers into the collection plate okay and i think for me the thing would be spiritual growth we all went including the men went to a ladies bible study one morning which was wonderful actually there was so much wisdom in the room in fact they were studying job their take on some difficult topics not that we've known anything no we know all about job now don't we <laughs> thanks a series that we've just had when the women met they had the bible study first and then they had the food i think when the men meet there is a much stronger emphasis on food they have huge amounts of meat there it's a very much a meat-eating country but i think to pray for more of these really valuable bible studies i think for all these in outlining areas as well for those bible studies to grow and to bear fruit one of the best things that we did was we, we prayed as a team in uh, town square we prayed beforehand for certain people to look for people wearing a certain color jacket this sort of thing we really enjoyed praying for people meeting people and being able to, to share the gospel with them but the downside was that because of the scheduling problems we'd had arranging the visit no one else from the local churches was there to be with us and see how all this was going on so we felt there's so much that we can learn from them, but so much that maybe they could learn from us. We would like to encourage them more to pray and to reach out to people around them. So I think that's something we want to pray for, spiritual growth in the churches. Now we have one more special thing we to do. Have, we have a gift from the church in Bolivia. And there is something written on the back. So thank you, Christ Church, Selly Park, for your visit, brother. Cuán bueno y agradable es que los humanos conviven en armonía, which is how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in harmony. I'll just uh, read this in English. <laughs> so, uh, save the translation. We're very best to, to be in unity with you, despite the distance and, well, the, the difference in time, I think, is what, is what they mean. It's five hours difference, but the, the cost of the cultural difference as well is significant but nonetheless we are united in the gospel with them they are our brothers and sisters and it's been a real privilege for both of us i think to be part of the team to visit them thank you very much peter and bobby so this time i'm going to ask you some questions the first one is where are you going and when 
Well, when we're going is on the, this Thursday, the 21st, and we'll be back, back in the country on the 10th of October. We're going to Kenya, of course. We're going to the place where we've been for the last, well, I think from 2014 to 2019, certainly as a church. We're going to western Kenya, over towards Uganda, just north of Lake Victoria. We're going to be meeting up with the members of the Africa Interior Church, who we've we've got to know very well over the last, well over the last decade, really. Lovely. And what are you going to be doing with them? Well, we're hoping to renew relationships with our friends. Basically, we we know quite a lot of people out there and have got to know them over the five consecutive years that we visited. So we're hoping to reconnect. We're hoping we'll remember some names and some faces. And also we've got, I think, five or six sessions where we've been asked to facilitate some discussion around teamwork with some of the the leaders groups and some bishops and some kindergarten teachers and all sorts of different groups of people. We also will be in Nairobi for a few days at the end. Our partnership in Kenya is with the African Interior Church, which is a very small denomination in, in western Kenya in a very rural area but also with the navigators in Kenya and many of us will have met Chris Amulu he's spoken twice or been to this church at least twice I think well he's changing role at the moment he's head of the navigators in Kenya he's joining the Africa leadership team and so we'll be there for the inauguration of the new leader of the navigators so hopefully being able to kind of make sure that our partnership with them remains secure as well so we're we're looking forward to being guests at that event. Lovely. Let me pray for you now. Father, we give you thanks for Alison and Phil, for John and Elsie in their recent trip to Bolivia. Thank you for all that they did and saw and uh, heard whilst they were out there. We thank you for the encouragement of our brothers and sisters all over the world. And now we pray for Bobby and Peter as they head out to Kenya to renew the relationships there. Pray you'd uh, keep them safe as they travel and that you would uh, bless their time, that they might be a blessing and receive blessing from our brothers and sisters down in Kenya. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and uh, that all of us would learn and be closer to you through our brothers and sisters around the world. Amen. Thank you. Today's reading is taken from Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, 
idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. I'm Peter Freer, in case you haven't picked that up by now. I'm a member of the congregation here and an occasional preacher. I have that great privilege. When you think of freedom, I wonder what's the first song that comes to mind. For me, it's Freddie Mercury crying out, I want to break free. In Queen's song of the same name, I had a look at the lyrics in the hope that it would provide me with some insight, some deep insight into the nature of freedom. But the words suggest that the freedom he's yearning for is a freedom to leave an unhelpful relationship and the freedom to pursue a new love. Well, some might identify with the particular circumstances of John Deacon's words, but most will feel the emotion of the opening line, I want to break free. The truth is, people do long for freedom, whether it's freedom from political systems in oppressive regimes around the world, freedom to live and work in safety, true of some groups in our own country, freedom from societal attitudes, or even freedom from ourselves, and perhaps especially freedom from ourselves, freedom from addictions, Freedoms from feelings of guilt and fear. Freedom from the past. People long for something called freedom. Now, in the matter of freedom, we have good news to tell. Freedom is a thread that runs through the Bible and is a particular theme here in the book of Galatians. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, we read at the start of our reading. But what does this freedom look like? So far in this letter to the Galatians, Paul has been trying to convince his readers that in Christ they are no longer enslaved to the demands of the law. Trying to keep the law or the demands of the law does not lead to freedom. Rather, it leads back to slavery. And we know that the inevitable failure to keep the law leads also to death. On the other hand, as we read today, freedom from the law doesn't mean indulging our sinful nature. The acts of the flesh are obvious, Paul writes in verse 19. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, and so on and so on. All of these things 
can give the impression of freedom, a certain amount of autonomy of behavior, to freedom to do what we want, but they just result in entangled relationships with others, an entangled relationship with ourselves, and they put us into conflict with God. That's not freedom either. So on the one side we have trying to follow a legal code which does not bring us freedom, and on the other side just doing what we like doesn't bring us freedom. So again, what does freedom look like? Well, the answer for those who know Christ is to be found in the Holy Spirit. The answer on one side is to live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's in verse 16. And the answer on the other side is if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's in verse 18. People need to see this freedom lived out. What does someone who is experiencing a spirit-lived, spirit-led life look like. Hopefully, they get to see it in the lives of his people. And this is the focus of today's topic, modelling godly character. And what does godly character look like? It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, or the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us, described here in Galatians as love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What can I say about the fruit of the Spirit? I'm not going to give an exhaustive analysis. Even this list in verse 22 in itself is not exhaustive. There are many such lists in the New Testament. So just a few observations Firstly, Mark Green, in the accompanying book of this series, Fruitfulness on the Front Line, describes the fruit of the Spirit as the kind of character that responds appropriately to God, circumstances, and others. The kind of character that responds appropriately to God, circumstances, and others. What does he mean by that? I guess responding appropriately to God is responding to him in love. Responding to circumstances is responding with joy and peace. And responding to others is responding with forbearance, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Secondly, the fruit of the Spirit is about reflecting God's character, showing the family likeness. It's no surprise that the list leads off with love. We read in 1 John 4.19, We love because he first loved us. God takes the lead in love. God is love, John tells us. So if we are of his family, it is natural that we reflect this aspect of his character. Thirdly, there are listed here inner qualities and outward-facing qualities. Joy and peace might be considered inner qualities. They are still outwardly visible, but are inwardly directed. They come from the knowledge of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will one day bring to completion. The outer qualities are seen directly in how we respond to people and situations and are powered by God's love, joy, and peace. Fruit is a metaphor for something organic. It grows slowly imperceptibly in fact 
It happens by a natural process. If I look at a plum tree in our garden, at least the one that does bear fruit, I can see in the spring a small bulge appearing behind the fading flower head. If I stood there for hours on end, I wouldn't perceive any growth. But over weeks and months, that bulge will grow and eventually ripen into a nice plum, unless the pigeons get them first like they did (laughs) this year. With the plum tree, the clever bit, the almost miraculous bit, is a work of nature. It is an inherent property of the tree. Plum trees bear plums. Christians should bear fruit. However, my mentor in all matters relating to fruit trees, Rob Tilling, who helped um, plant the, the apple trees up our church drive, tells me of the importance of things like pruning and mulching, particularly for trees in their formative years. An interesting question then is, are there any ways in which we can encourage the development of this fruit? After all, we're told to live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. These phrases all imply to me some kind of intentionality on our part. And I don't think I'm alone in saying I sometimes struggle to be fruit-bearing myself. So how can we encourage the appearance of this fruit? Here, I must confess that I'm going to stray from the original passage because I think Paul the writer to Galatians, has actually provided some very strong answers to this question in the first ten verses of chapter 6. So just briefly, here are four things. The first is the helpful idea is that we should have some level of accountability to others. Chapter 6, verse 2, tells us to carry each other's burdens. Now, in the context of Galatians, Paul isn't talking about carrying physical burdens but he's talking about the the struggles we might have in not gratifying the sins of the flesh and instead choosing to live by the Spirit. Having a small number of trusted people around us, people who can gently challenge us, is a very good principle. Someone who could say, for example, to us, Ooh, you reacted very angrily in that meeting earlier on. Do you want to talk about it? Someone who's not judging us, but wanting the very best for us. The Christian life doesn't have to be lived on our own. Secondly, in the same vein, we should be accountable to ourselves before God. Chapter 6, verse 4 tells us that each one should test his own actions, not in order to place ourselves above or below those around us in some kind of holy pecking order, but so that we can be actually encouraged at what God is actually doing in our lives. And that can be an encouragement to others too as we share. God is helping me not to get angry and defensive in meetings, for example. Thirdly, we do need to make the choice to do the right things. God has given us the power to do so. Halfway through verse 8 we read, Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Maybe that might take the form of choosing to pause before we reply 
when we feel ourselves getting defensive or angry? Are we sowing for longer-term fruitful habits? And finally, let's practice being spirit-fruit-bearing people among our brothers and sisters here at Christchurch. Verse 10 tells us, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, this might seem a little bit off message here when we're supposed to be talking about fruitfulness on our front line out there, not here in church. But surely here, among our brothers and sisters at Christchurch, should be a safe place to develop new patterns of behaviour, a place where we're committed to one another's growth, gentle with each other when we get it wrong, and being encouraged at seeing God at work when we get it right. Furthermore, there is no more powerful witness than Christians authentically learning to love one another. By this, Jesus says, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Of necessity, often, our front lines are where we are meeting non-Christians, and that's often out there in the world, at our workplaces, among our families and networks of friends, where we volunteer. But there can be some powerful front lines as we do things together here at Christchurch. For example, activities like Warm Welcome, Coffee Mates, Lunch Club or Walking Group. So, in summary, people want freedom. God's people claim they have a special type of freedom, not slavishly following codes of law, nor equally slavishly following their own desires. People can see that freedom modelled, and how can they see it? They see it in the lives of God's people. And finally, while the fruit of the Spirit is a work of God in us, we do have some responsibility here. Responsibility to gently encourage each other when we're not getting it right. Responsibility to honestly evaluate our own lives. Responsibility in our actions to sow, to please the Spirit. And responsibility to do good to the family of believers. May God be at work in all of us that we may bear fruit that pleases him and draws people curiously towards the kingdom. Amen.